If you have a Bible, open up with me, please, to the 19th Psalm, Psalm 19. And as you're opening up there, let me tell you, um, the Easter season is uh, officially here. We're Baptists, so we get to say it starts whenever we want it to start, you know. Nobody tells us. Uh, when to start. So we're uh, officially kicking off our Easter uh, sermon series today. I wanted to encourage you uh, today, if you would, go ahead and take a look at least at each exit and scattered around the facilities here. Gene on Friday put out some invitations to Easter Sunday. And uh, you can grab one of those on one side, just the graphic for the sermon series. And on the other side, it just says worship with us on Easter Sunday. First Baptist Church of Gadsden with the date and the details and Easter at first.com, which has all of our Easter events there. So let's just say you want to invite someone to the, uh, to the uh, Maundy Thursday or you want to invite someone to the Easter egg hunt. You can just say, hey, the details aren't on here, but go to that website and you can look at the details on what I'm talking about there. So there, you'll be also receiving a few of these in the mail to make it a little more easy. So let's just say you harden your heart as you leave today and you say, I'm not taking any of those invitations just because he said so. Well, there they'll be in your mailbox this week, and uh, joke's on you. So we're excited. Who knows what God might do this Easter, right? Who who knows how the Lord might act and work? Uh, In the letter I sent you with your invitations, I I said something. I did read this recently. You know what the number one reason why someone chooses to attend or visit a church is? Does anybody know? An invitation. Yeah, they get invited. Now, second is the chubby guy in a commercial inviting them. But number one is being invited by you personally. And, uh, and so I want to encourage you, if you would, try to invite someone to church this Easter season. If you have your Bibles open there to Psalm 19, why don't you go and stand with me out of reverence for the reading of the words of our God. David writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in such a way that as the words on this page are being read, God himself is speaking to us. Beginning in verse 1, to the choir master... A psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. Keeping them, there is great Reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous 
sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and redeemer. Let's pray together. O God, if you would, please open our hearts and minds to receive your word, God, as we embark on the great story of your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. The author, Pat Conroy, who happens to be one of my favorite authors, said this, The most powerful words in the English language are, Tell me a story. We're sort of watching this play out right now at night. We're reading through a series of books with our kids each night. We'll read a chapter, maybe two each night. They're getting old enough to where we can all kind of enjoy a chapter book together. And as we read these stories, it's really funny to see the way that these stories have captured and captivated their imaginations. Every day they're asking us to read more. In fact, uh, this afternoon we're going to visit my sister in South Carolina and we've downloaded already the next audio book in the series so I can save my voice uh, over the next couple of weeks, but also so that we can listen together. They're eager to hear this story. Many of you have felt the power of a good story. You can, you've heard good stories and they've stuck with you for a long time. You've considered stories. There's nothing more wonderful than someone who's good at telling stories, who likes to tell stories. There are things we can learn, things we can see. Our world is built around stories. And I think there's a reason for that. I think it's because more than anything, God has given us a story to make sense of our world. We oftentimes think of the Bible as 66 books, each of which maybe has some stories in it, but others have uh, uh, law or poetry or teaching, things like that, epistles that are letters. But we rarely stop and consider that the whole Bible is one big story. And this Easter, as we move toward the cross, I hope to show you the way that the whole Bible fits together over the next uh, today and four more sermons. I, I hope to show you the way that the Bible fits together as one big story. I invite you this Easter to hear the greatest story ever told. It's where we are. It's who we are. And today we'll look at creation, and in the coming weeks we'll look at the other major chapters of the story. The fall through sin. Redemption through the cross and the resurrection. And finally, we'll look at the way that God is going to consummate at the end of the age and make all things right and all things new through the kingdom of the Son. And yet today, we begin where all good stories begin, at the beginning. In the beginning, as Nathan read earlier, God created the heavens and the earth. As we embark on this story, I want you to see how things got started. I want you to see what things looked like, and how God designed the world. I hope you'll see today a good and loving God who made a perfect world for man to live in. And I want you to see His good design and how He meant it for our good. I want to show you our Father's world. I want you to see a portrait of what our Father has made for us, and I hope we'll also see God's good design in this world world. This morning I'm going to show you three truths that I think will help you see God's good design in creation. As the hymn says, this is my father's world. And I hope we'll see the good 
and the good design that God's given us. Here's the first thing I hope you see this morning. God's creation reveals His glory. God's creation reveals His glory. I ask you this today, is there a more beautiful time of the year? I I don't think there is. It's so gorgeous. It's the time of year where you get beautiful, bright, clear days, and you don't want to die because it's so hot. And so it's wonderful. We've emerged out of the gray and the cold, and now we're enjoying this sort of bright spring. Now, the challenge during this time of year is breathing, and I understand that. As from one allergy person to another, I get the breathing bit. That's a challenge. But besides that, it's, it's gorgeous. Yesterday, uh, my kids were at my parents' house in Boaz, and so we went and got them, and Whitney and I decided we wanted to go ride for a little bit. We like to ride, and uh, it, was either, it was down between burning money in the backyard or riding around, so we decided to ride around. And, uh, and so, so we went and we rode while we were up that way. We decided to ride down to Gunnersville State Park, which is gorgeous. The beauty of the state of Alabama where we live, especially living where we live, you know, you're so close to the beach and obviously lots of flat area and forest down south. But up here we get a little bit of just a little taste of the mountains. You might, you might want to call them hills. You know, if I was from western North Carolina, I'd call them hills. But here, you know, for us, these are mountains. We have the lakes and rivers. It's a beautiful part of the world. We get to experience so much of God's creation here in Alabama. And so as we rode around, I kept telling the kids, look out the window, look how beautiful that is. And with the wind, the way it was yesterday, there were portions of the lake in Gunnersville that looked like the, the Gulf. There were such big waves coming from the wind. The sky was blue and gorgeous. It's just a good thing, a beautiful thing. We get to look at God's creation, to see it. We live in a beautiful world. It's a beautiful world that God's given us. I, I sometimes just think how funny it is that there are places we like to go to because they're pretty. What a gift that God's given us. You know, he could have just made the world a cubicle. We could just live there. But instead, he decided to make it beautiful. It tells us something about him. I think one of modern man's problems is that we don't look at the sky enough. We don't stop and consider the grandeur and wonder and glory of all that's beyond us. The heavens declare the glory of God. And the sky above proclaims His handiwork. The creation tells us something about God. Theologians call this general revelation. Okay, When we talk about revelation, I'm not talking about the book of Revelation. I'm talking about the concept or the theological idea that God reveals Himself to us. And that which He has revealed we call revelation. He, he discloses things about Himself to us. Now, we tend to think mainly, and we'll talk about it in a moment, we tend to think mainly about particular revelation, right? Which is the Bible and the great acts of God in the Old and New Testament, sending His Son into the world. All these things recorded in the Scriptures are God's particular revelation. Those are specific, narrow ways that God has revealed Himself not only to His people, but also to all mankind. But not everyone has access to that, unfortunately. Some of you children, Teenagers may want to give your life to translating the Bible into languages that don't have the Bible. I don't know. Maybe you take Spanish or something. You realize you're really gifted with language. You're the opposite of your pastor. I'm not gifted with 
learning other languages. But you may realize you're gifted at that and you want to give your life to that. Some of you may want to use that, do your retirement doing something like that. I don't know. Maybe you're just gifted academically and you could learn Greek and Hebrew or one or the other and you could learn how to translate the Bible into languages that don't have the Bible. Nonetheless, not everyone has particular revelation, but everyone, by and large, experiences at some level creation. You may not have a Bible, but more than likely you can see the world. And God's creation reveals His general revelation. His creation reveals a creator. This is something everyone ought to know. Now, you can't know everything there is to know about God from His creation. You need the Bible. You need special or particular revelation. But one thing we can know from the creation is that we have a creator. That there is a God and that He made us. We ought to know that from what creation says. Notice the Bible introduces us to a speaker here. The, the heavens, so to speak. That doesn't mean heaven like where God is. That means the sky above us. Sky and space. The heavens declare the glory of God. And the sky above, what? Proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech. And night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. You see, this is a reference back to God creating the world and He's showing the way that when God made the world, He designed it to speak to us. The heavens declare the glory of God. And we can see that we live in a good world made by a good God. I think we can even take the, David's reflection here on the heavens and take that to every aspect of creation. You see, the creation proclaims the handiwork of God. His creation reveals His glory. And all of us should know that we have a Creator. I think without sin, without our limits, we would all know we have a Creator based only on what we know from creation. One, one good sign of that is the fact that so many religions that aren't Christianity, that don't obey the Bible, still believe that the world was created by God, or at least by a God. That's a sign, I think, that we have clues in the world that the world was created by God. There are very few atheists in the world. It's not common. We ought to know. We do know. But we also see that God's creation reveals His good design. Now, have you ever thought about the way creation is presented in the book of Genesis, chapters 1 and 2? There's Genesis 1-1, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And they were formless and void, the Bible says. And the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the waters. And then what happens? God begins to speak, and in speaking, He takes this world that was formless and void, that was created in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, and He begins to form and fill the earth. Ultimately, this consummates in human creation in uh, on the sixth day, and God says that it's very good. So as the text progresses, we see the way that God is forming the earth and forming the waters and forming the skies, and then He's filling the waters and filling the skies with the sun and the moon and the stars, and, and God is giving order to His created universe, and He's doing all these things in order that He might place man in the garden. And so here we see a little bit of this progress in Psalm 19. 
You see what he says? The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech. This is the heavens. And then what does he say? A new speaker is introduced. In them he has set a tent for the sun, verse 4, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber and like a strong man runs its course with joy. It's rising from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them. There is nothing hidden from its heat chosen to preach Psalm 19 to you today because I think it's David's shorthand way of talking about creation as a whole. Here we see in the second half the way God not only formed the earth, but the way He filled the earth. He placed the sun in the heavens. And we see the good and excellent and mighty design of God in the way He formed and filled the heavens with the sun. The uniformity of the world and the consistency of the sun and the predictability of things gives us a good picture of the good order that God has given the world. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and therefore the world holds together. My friends, it's important for us to remember that God created the heavens and the earth, and then He filled them with good things and ordered them according to His will, and He placed man and woman there to be fruitful and to multiply and to cultivate the garden and to spread His glory over the earth like the waters cover the sea. God gave us a good world to live in. We have a benevolent and loving God who gave us this world. He created it, and He called it very good, even after He put us here. The hymn's right, isn't it? This is my Father's world, and to my listening ears, all nature sings and round me rings the music of the spheres. This is my Father's world, I rest me in the thought of rocks and trees, of skies and seas, His hand the wonders wrought. What a good world God gave us. But you know what He didn't do? This is beautiful. I love God for this. He didn't just take the world and wind it up like a stopwatch, like some people think, and set it into motion and leave us alone. No, God is active, not only, as the Bible says, in upholding the world by the word of his power, but on top of that, God chose to reveal himself to us. Second of all, second point I want you to see is this, God's creation is ordered by his word. God's creation is ordered by his word. Would you this morning consider the power of the word of God? By his word, he spoke the world into existence, the Bible says. And by his word, he sustains the world even now. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 2 says he upholds the world by the word of his power. Listen to what Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 3 verses 5 through 7. For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water, how? By the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Do you see the power of the word of God? That same word that spoke the universe into existence is the word by which God providentially is guiding all things until the last days. There's nothing that's outside the power of the Word of God. And yet, God didn't only leave us His creation to speak to us. He has revealed that powerful Word to us in the written Word of Scripture. 
You see, general revelation is not enough. God didn't only give us creation, but He's also given us the Bible, His particular revelation. God has revealed Himself to us by His Word. Now, one way the Bible talks about itself, the whole of the Old Testament, or at least all the books of Moses, is it calls the law. The law is used in different terms, but here I think it's talking in particular about the five books of Moses, but in a lot of ways about the whole of Scripture, all of God's Word. And so oftentimes we associate the book of the Bible with law, with what we ought to do and not do. And that can be a little frustrating for us. We're sinners, right? I don't know about you. I don't like being told what to do. I bet some of y'all walk through the wrong door. It says exit only. I bet you walk through it just because it says exit only. Now, I would never do something like that, but I bet some of you do. It's like the thwart the rules. It's easy for us to feel like God's word is a straitjacket. You know? <coughs> like God's word is a straitjacket. Like, like, for example, this afternoon when I'm driving to South Carolina, I'm going to feel like the speed limit is a straitjacket. I'm ready to get off the road. I want to go pretty fast, you know. I want to see how fast a loaded-down Ford Expedition can go. But it's not a straitjacket, the law, the Word. But it can feel like that. The law of the Lord is perfect. Strong language. I'm not perfect. The testimony of the Lord is sure. I'm not so sure about that. The precepts of the Lord are right. And I tend to be wrong. The commandment of the Lord is pure. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. By them is your servant warned. How overwhelming this is. How convicting this is. Oh, how we can just sort of smell the gloom and the smoke of Sinai coming into our nostrils from these words. Because as we read them, we recognize, I don't measure up. Not enough for this. But God's words and requirements or in a straitjacket, but a loving God teaching us how we can flourish in the good world He made. It orders us. That's only half of the story. The overwhelming and the difficult and the challenging. Don't, don't miss what the Bible says. The law of the Lord is perfect. Reviving the soul. Don't we need revived? The testimony of the Lord is sure. Making wise the simple. Who here doesn't need wisdom? The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. And we think we need something to help us get through this life. And maybe we need good and sumptuous food or we need enough wealth to get through this life. But the Bible says that the Word of God is more to be desired than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Oh, we're warned by the Word of God, but also what flourishing, what reward there is in living life the way God has told us to live our lives. God's commandments are not a straitjacket. They're an opportunity to live in a good world the way God has told us to. 
God has granted all of us as human beings the gracious opportunity to live in His world according to His design. And though we live in a world where rebellion against the Creator we seem to have forgotten feels so acute and it feels like it's pressing in on us, we have to recognize that people are rebelling both against God's Word and against the created order that He gave us. Even nature doesn't seem to be enough anymore. Our abilities and our intelligence, our great gains in this world have given us the false notion that we're Lord of creation and not Him. But as Christians, my friend, we cannot forget that God spoke the world into existence through His Word. He upholds the world by the Word of His power, and He has ordered the world according to His revealed Word. And my friends, we can't keep this Word by ourselves. We can't flourish the way God has intended on our own. And next week, as we talk about the fall, we'll be reminded of why the world's not the way it ought to be. But bear in mind today, even as we relish the grace of God, remember that He gives us in forgiveness. Remember that God's revealed commands are meant to help us and to order the creation. They help us live in this world the way God intended. Oh, it's such a good world, but we so badly want to use it the wrong way, don't we? We want to cling to it in the wrong way. My friends, so many people right now are rebelling against God's created order. Will we be there not only to have the steel spines to live the way God has prescribed, but we also have hearts softened by the gospel, offering love and forgiveness and grace to those who are far from the Lord. Hope we will. That leads us to our last point. God's creation is designed for our good. God's creation is is designed for our good. Verse 12, Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Sometimes we sin and we don't know we're sinning, and sometimes we sin and we know we're sinning. Some of us sin and won't credit for it. We want to make sure somebody knows. That's how deep our sin can be. Keep me back from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Do you see this appeal to God? Oh God, would you let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in my sight. Oh Lord, my rock, my redeemer. My friends, God created this world and he called good and he put us here he created us in order that we might see and know his glory as recipients of his grace and mercy through jesus christ the end of the word of god the purpose of the word of god is to lead you into a close walk with jesus and as you look at this law as you look at what god says as you look at what god requires it won't take you long to realize there are sins i don't even know about if this is the purity of the word of god if these are god's commands oh god keep me from this sin having dominion over me you see we ultimately need god's grace to sustain us in his world. And so the end of the Bible is not the law. The end of the Bible is the gospel. Though the law is there to help us and guide us as a 
tutor to help us have good instructions on how to live and flourish in God's world, we recognize that the end of the story can't be us pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps and doing better, but instead a merciful and loving God who formed and filled the world for us, lovingly welcoming us back into His family through the work of Jesus Christ. Creation's not enough. What we see through creation is not enough. The law and God's commands are not enough. Do you see what David's doing? He's asking for help. And we need help. The most beautiful part of the story that we're looking at during this season is the grace of Jesus. I know there's much more to be said about that. It's important for you to know that today. Jesus loves you and died for you. My friends, this is the most beautiful thing about God's world. And it's what makes it such a good place. God has not abandoned us here. God is here with us. And as we see David appealing for God's help, we are reminded of the fact that that God walked with Adam in the cool of the day. And now among us, he dwells in our hearts through his spirit. Do you see this appeal from David for help and keeping from sin? God means to help us. My friends, this is the beauty of God's good design and His good world. He made this place for us. He gave us a good place to live. He gave us a good word to help us know how to do it best. And the rules haven't changed, but we did through sin. He gave us such a beautiful relationship with His creation, didn't He? A a, a ground that was meant to yield up its fruit for us to eat. Bodies which were made, right? to be fruitful and multiply so that we could have help and community and everything else. He gave us a beautiful relationship with the created order. He gave us a beautiful relationship with each other. Not only do we have a beautiful relationship with the land or with creation in God's created order, but also with each other. God made us for marriage and community and for other beautiful things. There's a uniqueness to the way we can know one another in this world and in this life. But my friends, most beautifully, the most beautiful gift God gave us when He created the, the world. The most beautiful thing He gave us was the ability to know and to love Him. And He's given us the perfect place to do it. This is my Father's world. Oh, let me ne'er forget that though the wrong seems off so strong, He is the ruler yet. This is my Father's world. The battle is not done. Jesus who died shall be satisfied and earth and heaven be one. You can know God. You can love God if you do it by faith through Jesus. I want to offer an invitation this morning as we walk through the rest of the story, the role of Jesus and God's plan will become more clear, but today let me simply say that the only way to know and love God, the only way to really flourish and thrive in the world that God has made is to have your heart be acceptable in God's sight, your rock and redeemer, through faith in Jesus Christ. If you've never trusted